Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Makes sense. I would love to get your experience and opinion on some of the barriers that you've seen that businesses have had to selling. So they go to sell. What are some of the barriers that are in place um, that prevent them maybe from getting the money that they wanted to or from selling at all? <clears throat> yeah, um, I, I know we, we talked a little bit about it earlier. Um, there's a bunch of different types of sellers, right? Most of the buyers are looking for private label businesses rather than resellers. Um, that's not to mean that if you're a reseller, you can't sell your business, but the, the we're you know going back to your question on brand, Andy, we are looking for businesses that have some type of brand, even if it's not you know a very well-recognized brand, at least having their own products that they're selling rather than reselling other people's products. It gives a little bit of a moat. You have, you know, we typically won't buy businesses that don't have a trademark associated with the brand as well, because that gives you that IP, the intellectual property associated with it. Um, so that's one thing that does pop up. You know, I just mentioned a second, which is not having the trademark. Um, even if you are branded, if you don't have that trademark, somebody can either copy your business pretty easily, um, or they might already have a trademark and you might be infringing on somebody else's intellectual property. Um, brand registry also is a huge part of selling on Amazon. You can't get onto brand registry without a trademark. Um, so that that is another kind of thing that prevents people from being able to sell. Um, as you think about the rest of it, right, there's different issues we've run into across the board. Um, inventory is always a big one, right? And it goes back to stockouts. What does your supply chain look like? Um, how quickly can you get goods in? And, and when we buy a business, we were hoping to grow it from day one, right? So if your inventory is not in a great perspective, it might at the very least delay the transaction so you can get your inventory into, state, into place. Um, we've seen businesses where you know, we're, we're going through the numbers that they've provided to us and they say it's $500,000 of EBITDA, for, for example, and we dig into the numbers and it's actually 300,000 of EBITDA. And that's a very difficult thing for us to digest and understand, um, A, because it, it kind of throws away from the trust of, of what, you know, what we're buying and what else don't we know, and B, um, tells us you don't really have a good grip, grip on your business. So as I talked about earlier, if you don't know your numbers, that's fine, we'll help you dig into them. But if you tell us your numbers are X and they're actually a lot less than X, um, it becomes a little bit harder from that perspective. We'll, we'll still try to find ways to close those deals. Um, but ultimately, right, we're, we're relying because it's such a fast process on, on what the seller's telling us and having that kind of relationship, that trust in particular as sellers will be continuing to earn money with us through that earnout period. Um, we really care about kind of having that, that strong relationship and trust across um, both between buyer and seller. Got it. And then as far as um, you mentioned some of the types of products. So this is always a, a big, you know, debate of that you should have a trademark, but you should also have um, kind of recognized products that are a little bit different. Um, so if, if I, let's say I'm a really good marketer and I've built, you know, I've paid for a bunch of reviews and I've built a brand and, you know, I'm at the top of page one, but my margins maybe aren't so good and my products are really easy to copy. Is that going to be a barrier to me being able to sell or 
because, hey, I'm selling a lot of volume and I've done a good job of, of getting to page one, um, you know, is, is it going to be okay? Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a barrier to sell. I think it all comes down to valuation, right? So it depends on, on where you are. If you're at the top of page one and, and doing 20% margins and in a category where you are dominating, you'll probably get a higher valuation than somebody who's at the top of page one who has lower margins, who might what we call muddled, right? Or they somebody can come in and, and take you know, market share by lowering the price, et cetera. That being said, as I talked about earlier, right? There's a, a lot of recognition and clouts and value given to being at the top of page one on, on any given keyword. So just to say, you know, for example, if you're, I don't know, the number one, what, what's a good kind of generic product, right? If you're the water bottle, that's water Andy bottle. and I's favorite exactly. one. Great, great <laughs> product, right? You're the number one water bottle. <laughs> Can you sell your business? Water bottle. Um, <laughs> there's not gonna be that much innovation in water bottles, right? So how can you maintain your number one spot and how do you kind of think about that? Um, as long as you've got the marketing down, you know, I think a, a bit of a higher margin is probably gonna be helpful. Um, and, and sometimes you are in a race to the bottom, right? Sometimes we are looking and saying, okay, if you're the lowest price already and you're 25% margins, that's great. Alternatively, if you're the number one and you're priced above people and been able to maintain that, that, that also looks good, right? Some people don't want to be the highest price, but sometimes price is an indicator of value. So you can, you, know, you can be priced above your competitors and be in good shape as long as the, like them coming down further in price hasn't devalued your business, right? You're still number one at 40 and your competitors at 20. That kind of shows some of that, even if it's a water bottle, it shows you have a moat around your, your product. Got it. And then I guess my big thing that I'd like to know is what can sellers do now? So now they kind of know how their business is valued. They know that there's many different ways they can sell. There's many different types of buyers. Um, they know uh, what's important as far as um, their net margin, where that needs to be 20%. They know um, what kind of products they should have. They should focus on a smaller number of products instead of having a lot of products across multiple categories. Um, and so they know all those things. But that being said, what would you say are the top maybe three most important things we can focus on if we're wanting to sell our brand? Like, let's say I want to sell next year. What should I be focused on this year to make it really, really an awesome deal? Yeah, I, I you know, we actually often appreciate a brand that isn't fully efficient. And by that, I mean, there's some low hanging fruit opportunities for us to take and continue to grow the brand, right? So it's not necessarily you need to have everything buttoned up. Nobody ever has, there, there's, there's hair on every business, right? There's hair on boosted commerce. Every, every business has something that is, is not perfect. Um, so understanding that story and kind of what's going on there I think is number one. And then number two is, is knowing where that growth opportunity is, right? If, you're, if your business is down 20%, it's obviously gonna be a little bit harder to sell. So you can't you know, not think about top line. Um, but if your business is growing by 10, 15% and there's an ability to grow up by 30% and you've started to prove that, that's not a bad time to sell because you can, you know, you can say, okay, here's how I would do this over the next year. And then Boosted Commerce can come in and say, great, you know, not only can we grow that extra 20%, but with our expertise and with our team and our knowledge and our time commitment, 
we can take that 20% and move it to 40%. Um, so, so that's one thing I, I do want to stress. Like if you're waiting for that perfect time to sell your business where everything's buttoned up, it, it, it's never going to be right. And you're, you're never going to sell. Um, and it's not a bad time at all right now to be looking to, to sell your business because there's a decent amount of people, you know, attracted to the space and, and the multiples are, are pretty nice for somebody who's got a nice business ready to go. Um, so, you know, as you think about getting it ready, um, I would focus on where are the opportunities? What are, what is the hair in your business and, and how can you mitigate that hair, right? It doesn't have to be fully figured out, but what are the reasons it's there and what's the story you can tell around it? Um, and then it, it's not going to make or break it, but again, having your financials and understanding what they are, I can't stress like it, it is, we can do it, but it, it's helpful for you as a seller to be able to understand what you're selling also and how much money you're making, right? It, it's amazing. Um, you know, people get a check in their, in their, in their bank account every week and then, or every two weeks from Amazon and kind of say, okay, great, but, but don't really fully appreciate, right. That how much is going out to marketing or how much is that? And, and your profitability can vary pretty widely from that perspective. Awesome. <clears throat> Excuse me. We all got the coffees today. Um, <laughs> um, Adam, I'm interested in, uh, you, are, are there any categories that you guys won't invest in? Right. So say I, uh, I live in Southern California, kind of near you, you know, I'm really big into the adult industry. I've got my line of adults toys that uh, I sell on Amazon. It's going gangbusters. I have this thing that I came up with that is just the most innovative adult toy ever. It's flying off the shelves. Um, you know, if we come to you guys, are, are you going to be interested in that or do you guys steer away from any categories? Uh, we, we do stare away from categories. I apologize. My Slack's going crazy. So I shouldn't try to turn it off for the last 20 minutes. Uh, no I finally figured it out. Um, <laughs> but, um, that, that wouldn't scare us away, right? We actually, Andy, to your point, we, we have a, a thesis around what we call embarrassing product ink. So we, we, we're, we're okay with some products. Um, you know, now sexual wellness, wellness does become a bit difficult on Amazon because some of them you can't actually show up in the keywords and, and there's, there's restrictions. Um, but the ones that we, I wouldn't say there's any category that's an absolute no, we'll never look at it. The ones that are a bit more difficult for us are fashion and electronics. Um, and probably for a few of the reasons we've already talked about, right? On, on the fashion side, if you have one pair of women's leggings, um, that one pair between small, medium, large, extra large, and five colors, and all of a sudden you're at 20 ASINs very fast, right? So that, that kind of adds up on the ASIN side of things. Um, and then the other side of things is innovation, right? We talked about water bottles aren't going to be innovated on very often, um, but electronics, you know, the iPhone charger is a great example where from seven to eight to nine to 10, you need four different chargers and they're moving pretty fast. And, and you know, that makes it a lot harder to stay at that Fifth Avenue real estate on Amazon if your product is gonna become obsolete fairly quickly. So those are two things that we kind of look at um, as we think about categories, but I, I don't think there's anything where we would say not even willing to kind of at least dig in on, on level one. Right. Um, I'm curious, are, are you guys only doing Amazon businesses or do you also look at, you know, standalone e-com businesses that maybe they built a, you know, a business on their own or uh, what about print on demand? Are you doing any, you know, KDP stuff? Do you do any of the, um, uh, I forget what it's called, but where you print your own t-shirts on Amazon, you know, some people have built some pretty massive businesses in both of those uh, marketplaces. Are those something that you guys dig into or is it strictly Amazon third-party seller uh, setup? 
At, at the moment, we are predominantly focused on third parties, right? As, as I talked about a little bit earlier, when we think about where we're going, um, we want to be where the consumer is. So what does that mean? Most of our businesses are 80 to 90% Amazon right now, but that is declining as we think about DTC, as we think about other marketplaces, as we think about, you know, even potentially brick and mortar. One, one of our two co-founders was the founder of Charming Charlie. So he, you know, he has those brick and mortar relationships and, and knows all the malls and, and we're in discussions constantly in terms of, you know, what does it look like and when's the right time? Obviously brick and mortar is, is a, almost a faux pas at the moment given COVID, but I, I think there is opportunity if you have the right, um, right deals in place. Um, so we will look at them. Um, I, I would say, you know, the middle of our fairway right now is 70% plus on Amazon. Um, we'll look at DCT, DTC, Shopify businesses. Um, we'll also look at kind of affiliate marketing businesses, right? So as we think about where Amazon's going, um, Amazon does give a lot of credit in their algorithm to driving traffic to Amazon. So how, how can you do that? And how do you bring more attention to the Amazon space? Um, you know, we, we have beauty brands where we'll, we'll look at a, a beauty affiliate marketing website that, that has backlinks, et cetera. Um, so as we kind of build out our categories, certainly thinking about how we, how we drive traffic to Amazon into our brands from the outside world. That, that, give, that brings up a really good point. And a lot of Amazon sellers don't do this in terms of value add, right? Like if you maybe came up with some kind of proprietary software that you use in your own business that, you know, is a huge value add when you guys, when they can hand it off to you guys and say, Hey, we've automated X, Y, and Z, you know, we've got this Facebook group of a hundred thousand people in the brands, you know, we've got, you know, all these influencers that we have relationships. So I assume that uh, you guys take all these kind of extra things that the brand has done, um, and take that into consideration in terms of having some kind of like backend machine to really push the awareness and the sales of the products. A hundred percent. And that's part of uh, what all those slacks I was just getting were about was it was how, how we do that better. Um, so it's funny, funny you mentioned that right now, but um, that's, that's something we're always thinking about, right? It's amazing to me. There's a bunch of sellers we talk to who are like, Oh yeah, we have a 10,000 person data database that we have not emailed once or that we haven't been able to, you know, really monetize. Um, it's, it's a huge opportunity. When I talk about low hanging fruit, that, that's one thing we are always looking at is how do we, you know, how do we engage with the consumer? Now it's obviously a lot harder on Amazon because, you know, Amazon's customers are their customers. But as you think about DTC and you think about other, other channels, um, you know, how, how can we use that information and get to, again, what we're trying to do is be where the consumer is. So if you have that consumer data and you know they're a fan of your brand, how can you get back to them? Right. And, and retention repeat rates is something we look at all the time. It depends on the, on the, the product and the category, but we, we spend a lot of time thinking about repeat customers. So another thing that a lot of people, um, you know, I uh, just got approached by a fairly big, big brand that wants us to take a look at their account. And one of the things that, you know, he had mentioned, which, you know, I knew this, but I didn't realize how much more uh, in terms of valuation that you can get is uh, subscribe and save, right? Like if you have a massive amount of people on subscribe and save, if you have some type of, uh, you know, like I always say that consumables are the holy grail, especially on Amazon, right? If you sell a consumable product, as terrible as some of it is for the earth, um, unfortunately, but a consumable product is the holy grail, right? Because that's like, you know, it's like a product subscription, right? Like it runs out, people need to order more. I assume that you guys also uh, really love those types of businesses and also bump value if they have a lot of subscri subscribe and save uh, in place. 
For sure. Uh, you know, it, it does depend on there, there's more than just subscribe and save, right? So as from a consumable perspective, absolutely. Uh, we have, again, we have beauty businesses that, that some other people don't really um, look at the same way as we do, but we, we think about, you know, again, being where the consumer is, a lot of beauty businesses have an opportunity to, to grow beyond Amazon. Um, but retention, repeat, that, that all kind of goes into subscribe and save also, right? So what, what is that recurring revenue base? If you have a consumer that you don't need to market to, that you know is coming back on a monthly basis, that consumer is worth a lot more than somebody who's coming once, you know, and, and you can also, you know, your ACoS can go up, your cost of advertising can go up on, on all of that because you know they're coming back and that, that second buy is pure profit, right? So uh, when, that's one thing I, I think a lot of people, particularly for repeat businesses, don't spend enough time on is they say, oh, my ACoS is high when it's 50, 60%. But okay, if, if that consumer is coming back twice or even the three times, you know that a cost goes down to, to 20%. Um, so that's that's another thing kind of to, to take into account as as you think about your business. Yeah, a cost is a is a funny number because there's so many people who don't realize. You know, they look at a high like a 60% a cost, especially in the beginning when you're first launching things like that. Like, oh, it's absolutely horrible. And they don't realize that that's a long game, right? In terms of like brand awareness and exactly like you said, you know, if, if you have a product that people are going to order more than once, then, you know, you can take that ACOS and, and, and start subtracting, you know, because uh, that, that long game is, is um, you know, where it's at. Um, I'm curious to know, you know, you said like length of the time the business, uh, you know, has been running. So I assume that you really, I mean, what's like a minimum amount of time that you would uh, want a business to be up and operating and, you know, see month over month growth uh, before you would consider it? If somebody like, you know, launches something and it just goes hockey stick on the first month, you know, is that something that you guys are going to be interested in? Or, um, you know, is it something that you would kind of hang back and watch for a few months to make sure that, uh, you know, it's not just some like uh, fad or, or, you know, you know, like the solar glasses, you know, something like that. No, we talk about it all the time. Um, and, and typically we're looking for at least two years of history, right? I, I think the minimum we'll go to is like 18 months. Um, and, and that's exactly what you're talking about, Andy, right? It is any business can have a, a great month or two, um, but we're trying to build a long-term sustainable business. And, and what does that look like? It's hard to see that over two month trend, even three month trend, um, even a year, right? Because it's seasonality of a lot of these businesses on Amazon. So. We, we typically look at both month over month and year over year, trying to figure out what's going on there. Um, understanding not only industry trends, but competitors trends also, right? Is your business going up because one of your businesses, one of your competitors was delisted or out of stock, right? And that, that could show a, a nice pickup, which you may not see if you're kind of looking across the industry and, and not understanding what's going on outside of your individual business. Um, so that, that is, you know, a, a very important part of our diligence process is not only what is the business doing now, but what has it done historically, um, and, and how do those trends look? Awesome. Um, I assume that, um, you know, you're, how am I going to phrase this question? You see, you probably see a lot of businesses with a lot of different processes in place, right? Um, you know, I would love to know what you've seen in terms of processes, what people are using to build those processes. Are they all in like Excel spreadsheets? Are they in Airtable? Um, I'm sure they're in all different kinds, but I'm wondering if there's some kind of uh, basis uh, that people can use besides, you know, the standard screen grab and maybe the, the Google Sheets, you know, any, um, and any advice you can give in, in building out these, these processes. So when people come to you, you go, oh, wow, you guys got some great stuff in place. Yeah, I would say, 
whatever works for you and helps you manage your business is more important than having that set up for a seller or for a buyer, excuse me, right? Because most buyers will have their own processes in place, right? We, we have our own inventory management system. We have our own financial system. We have our own way we forecast, you know, supply chain. Um, so seeing how you do it is, or a seller does it is super helpful. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we learn a ton from our sellers and it, it's, it's very important. But what we care more about is understanding your business and being able to kind of understand trends and, and how it's managed, right? So um, most important is, is figuring out what works for you um, and following it, right? We know people who have one, two ASIN businesses who are using Amazon's inventory replenishment and that works perfectly for them. And then we know other people are using complex models where the forecasting is something that I don't even understand until I talk to them. And you know, that works for them. It, it all, it's business dependent and it's, it's really ultimately what's gonna help you grow, right? Now, now, if there's processes that we can learn from, we might add some additional value, but that more comes to what you were saying earlier, right? Which is um, more around mailing lists or kind of some IP or, or something that's been built out um, rather than just management, right? If there's a proprietary system that can be helpful, that, that certainly adds value. Awesome. Um, the other thing I'm really curious about is like, you know, um, one of my coaches always asks like, you know, what would somebody change about your business if they were to buy it today, right? It's a good self-reflection in terms of taking a step back and looking at, okay, you know, if I were to come in into this business, what would I like hit the ground running on immediately to improve, uh, you know, profits and things like that? What are some of like maybe the two or three most common things like right when you get a hold of an Amazon business, what are you guys getting to work on right away? Yeah, um, it, it depends on the business, right? We, we kind of break it down into six levers um, without going into too much detail. You know, marketing is one. Some people are very efficient. Others are very inefficient. Um, supply chains, another, you know, not only the inventory we talked about, but cost of supply chain are, you know, and how much are you shipping? When are you shipping? How are you shipping? What are the storage costs? Are you using a 3PL? Are you having too much inventory in, in Amazon, et cetera? So just increasing margin through supply chain. Um, new product development, right? I, as I mentioned, we do like skew concentration, but we are always thinking about how can we use the brand and Fifth Avenue real estate that we've already built or that the seller has built to con continue to build on Amazon or even off Amazon. Um, marketplace expansion, you know, as we talked about being where the consumer is. So not only, you know, getting to Walmart or Iyer for supplements or Lowe's for construction, but to, um, International Amazon as well is another one that, that we think about, right? It's, some products don't lend themselves as well because there's different regulatory environments, but you know, there's, there's so much low hanging fruit in the US, but in Europe, there's not as many competitors. It's just, it's a different ball game. So if you know how to operate there and can kind of figure out the regulatory environment, there's actually a barrier to entry for, for US companies. Um, and then the last one is just scalability, right? And that goes back to what we talked about before. We have a team behind us, it's not, a one or two person shop. Uh, we'll have a brand manager take over and kind of run the day to day, but they're supported by the boosted brain. Everything we've learned from our portfolio, having experts in supply chain, marketing, inventory management, everything to kind of, you know, give, give that additional boost that, that we're looking to give. So w one last thing, which, um, you know, <laughs> which may be a little controversial, but <clears throat> We keep seeing these models pop uh, pop up. There's some competitors of yours that I won't mention. That's you know they're they're doing like billions of dollars in business now. 
But, uh, you know, one of the things I loved about Amazon, especially starting out early, is that, and especially like you said, they're enabling, you know, the small mom and pop type operations to kind of kick the nine to five to the curb. But, um, you know, in essence, you know, this is kind of a, you know, getting these brands that are successful and then combining them into a, a kind of a big conglomerate, right? So you, by the time it's done, you know, you, you're, you know, Nike, but you're selling a hundred different products, right? But you're this big conglomerate. So, um, you know, is there, is there any uh, chance for these small, you know, if somebody comes to you and they're, you're like, no, we're not going to buy you, but you, they now have to compete with you, um, you know, what do you think that that's going to look like in the next two to five years? Do you think only big brands who continue to grow are going to survive? Or do you think that there's still going to be room for these small mom and pop shops? Saving the hard hitting questions for last. I like it. <laughs> um, so I, I, I think there will always be space, right? I think Amazon is changing at a tremendous pace. Um, and I kind of say in this industry, a week is a month and a month is a year. Um, and, and you're seeing that happen on a, pretty incredible, incredible journey. Um, and it, it's a very fun place to be. Um, and certainly it's becoming a bit more professionalized. Um, but ultimately at the end of the day, product speaks, right? So if you have a strong product and you're, you know how to operate, um, there's going to be room for you, right? So what, what's going to happen, and, and Amazon's doing this some, themselves already, right? What they're trying to do is give the consumer the best experience they can have. So how, what does that kind of mean? They've spent billions of dollars, billions of dollars in the last couple of years trying to take out black hat activity, trying to move towards um, getting products right there. There's now on the supplement side, they're doing ISO type certifications to make sure that your products are, are actually what you say they are. Um, so there's gonna be room and it's a focus on product and it's focused on driving what the consumer wants is, is the easiest way to say it in summary. We could spend two hours on that conversation, but that, that's, that's the 30 second answer. I yeah. love that answer. <laughs> I think it's so important. I mean, you know, there's, because it's so much easier and there's so much more of a focus on e-commerce now than ever before. And many um, traditionally brick and mortar um, brands are now, which don't have as strong a brand and don't have as necessarily quality of product, um, many of them are moving into e-commerce. And it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger the more and more people that enter this space. So that's when it becomes more important that your products are awesome and that you know how to connect with the consumer and, um, and that you care about those things. You care about brand, you care about your products, you care about the, what the consumer wants. So I love that. I feel like there, there will always be space for people to build new brands that do those three things. So that's, that's awesome. Great yeah, I advice. Think, I think it's a little bit more than that, right? You also need to, uh, to be able to operate within the Amazon ecosystem and understand, right? If you don't understand how it works, a, a brand by itself is not enough. Right. Um, but if, if you have that brand and you have that understanding and, you know, shows like this, that there's, they're all over the internet. Um, there's a bunch of people, you don't even have to pay anything, right? You can just watch videos. And, and I've heard from amazing sellers who are doing not only seven figures, but eight figure businesses who literally learn how to sell on Amazon through YouTube. And it, it's incredible, right? And that goes back to the proliferation of what, what Amazon's done for mom and pops. I, I don't think that is going to go away. 
Um, yeah. And interestingly, and I, I, a lot of kind of more traditional brands hate Amazon, right? So the, they, they see Amazon as a competitor rather than seeing them as an ally. Um, yeah. That I think will continue to change, but that also gives the mom and pops a little bit more of an opportunity to kind of, to, to be the man on, on Amazon. Yeah, love that. So we always ask this question. We ask what it is that is motivating you. So are you listening to podcasts? Are you reading books? Um, what are you into right now? Uh, and anything that you wanna share with our audience in terms of things that are motivating you as an entrepreneur and business owner? Yeah, um, so I, I head up our M&A team and my job is to go find new businesses that, that fit into the Boosted platform, right? Um, and not every business is a great fit for us and we're not a great fit for every business. But what's incredibly motivating is I spend a majority of my time talking to sellers, hearing stories, understanding how entrepreneurs have gotten to where they are. And, and there's no one way, there's no perfect way. There's really only the way that works for you. And there's so many different ways to get there. And that to me is super exciting and the best part about my job. I get to learn as much from the sellers as I get to you know, share with them and, and bring their business in. And we have SOPs in our network that are started and found from our conversations with sellers and they've taught us, right? So it's, it's super fun. I'm learning something new every day. Um, and I, I get to kind of just talk with an amazing group of people who are incredible successful entrepreneurs and their stories are inspiring. That's awesome. That's what we love about doing the podcast is that we get to meet other people and learn. I'm like forced to stop and learn and grow every week. And that's been an amazing blessing. So Adam, I mean, you've given us so much information in this hour and we so appreciate you for being here. Please, before we go, just let everybody know if they wanna get in contact with you, if they're thinking about selling their business, how do they do that? Yeah, look, we, we are always looking to grow, right? We are trying to get pretty aggressive to 100, 200 uh, Amazon businesses plus in, in the next couple of years. So. Uh, even if you're not ready to sell your business, we would love to talk. We would love to have a conversation and, and understand where you are and, you know, reservations, what you're thinking about, and maybe get the, get the relationship started for when you are. Um, we're trying to be the acquirer of choice. We want we look at this as a partnership and, and we want to be, you know, the buyer that, that you go to first, because not only are we going to give you good value and we are fair with our value, but also we're going to help with a, um, with the relationship and, and help you continue on with your career. And we have a, uh, a, a cool announcement coming in the next week that you'll see on the press with, with regards to that. Um, so as you think about, you know, differentiators in the space, there's a lot of us, but, but please do reach out. Um, boostedcommerce.com is our website. There's a form there you can fill out. You can reach out to me directly at adam at boostedcommerce.com or my M&A team is all together at acquisitions at boostedcommerce.com. Um, again, even if you're not looking to sell, we would love to hear from you and get the conversation started. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for being here with us. And thanks for everyone who joined us live. You can join us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central, 1 p.m. Pacific here at sellerroundtable.com slash live. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate all of you. Andy and I hear from you all the time, and we just absolutely love providing that value for you. And thank you to our guest, Adam, today. And we'll see you next week on the Seller Roundtable. Thanks, Thanks everyone.
Thanks for tuning in. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.